Sarah, thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for uh, making it to this breakfast briefing. It's a pleasure uh, to be here. Um, I just want to uh, say a few things by way of introduction. Um, I think for most of us, we're used to uh, looking at the uh, television and seeing uh, images brought to us of uh, environmental hazards in various parts of the world. Uh, in the last few weeks, we've uh, been reminded of that in terms of the uh, flooding around uh, Thailand's capital uh, and uh, sites of people leaving what they thought was a secure place to live, trying to find somewhere else. Before that, during the summer, I guess we, we saw many images of the Eastern Horn of Africa and the environmental threats combining with political threats in that context to displace quite significant numbers of people. So this is a topic which we are all um, aware of from the background of what the media uh, brings to us. Uh, if we add to that uh, the uh, possibility of significant climate change over the next 30 to 50 years, uh, we can imagine that these are images which we're going to see more frequently uh, and they may become uh, more distressing. Climate change then, perhaps uh, uh, the biggest priority in terms of environmental policy, and one of the uh, three top questions within that is to what extent will uh, climate change lead to various population displacements and to migration. So by way of steering us through the next uh, 20 minutes or so, I just want to say a few background uh, uh, things before uh, turning to uh, work that I've been doing uh, in uh, two separate research projects. I want to uh, draw from those some of the factors that I believe are uh, really significant and influential in shaping the destinations to which environmental migrants uh, move, uh, the focus there being on destinations rather than origins. Um, I will be giving you a case study from some work that I did uh, using uh, information from the countries uh, which report to the uh, FuseNet uh, uh, group, that is the Famine Early Warning uh, System Network. Uh, and I will move from that through a brief mention of uh, some of the contributions uh, that I made uh, as just one of 70 separate reports that went into the Foresight uh, panel's recent study uh, launched a few weeks ago uh, on migration and climate change, uh, and end up by talking specifically uh, about uh, the attempt that uh, I made with colleagues from the Centre for Population Change, another ESRC-funded centre at the University of Southampton, um, uh, which was attempting for the first time to produce estimates and to understand uh, the dynamics of what type of environmental migration might uh, reach the United Kingdom uh, between now and 2060. So, by the way, background, um, I, I see myself as a migration researcher, having worked uh, on aspects of migration in the Arab world, more, uh, more recently focused on skilled migration and student international mobility uh, involving the United Kingdom. Uh, uh, part of my life, however, has been every year for one month uh, to be released by universities to work for a UK NGO uh, who wanted me to be engaged in situations where populations were affected by environmental events. Uh, and that UK NGO uh, has sent me over the last 20 years to a range of countries from Bangladesh and India through the Philippines uh, to more recently to Malawi. Uh, and so uh, witnessing this firsthand and thinking about research evaluations uh, of the types of work that NGO has done uh, has been uh, fundamental to my understanding of the topic. I'm going to draw on two main evidence sources in the next few minutes. The first um, is a, a, a driver report that I did for the Foresight panel, um, which was looking at uh, a range of literature, over 200 references, dealing with uh, population mobility uh, uh, in association with climate change. 
then uh, uh, looking at this model, which is trying to forecast using um, uh, expert information and Bayesian modeling methods, uh, the level of environmental mobility towards the UK. I turn to the first of these then, as we uh, look at the literature uh, dealing with population change uh, faced with environmental threats, we see that there are very clearly um, uh, two different approaches that are taken. The dominant approach taken from environmental and physical scientists, uh, people like Myers, uh, and more recently in the Stern report, uh, has been to look at uh, areas which are going to be most vulnerable to significant climate change. And from their studies of those areas, the tendency uh, has been to look at the populations that are at risk in those areas and to estimate <coughs> what proportion of those populations will be displaced. Now that approach assumes that mobility <coughs> is a, a response uh, and it leads to quite alarming <coughs> estimates of the volume of, uh, of uh, migration that could occur. So, for example, uh, Myers in a number of reports, uh, um, starting in 1993, uh, the most recent uh, estimates I saw came from a paper in 2002 and another one in 2004, where there would be uh, something of the order of 200 million uh, uh, people displaced uh, by uh, uh, environmental events uh, uh, by the year 2050. The Stern report slightly uh, less alarmist, putting the figure uh, between 150 uh, to 200 million. An alternative approach, and the one that uh, I would like to advocate particularly this morning, uh, is uh, to start with studying migration rather than the environmental events. Uh, to say that there is already a huge volume of mobility, international mobility and other types of mobility, uh, taking place. And that it is valuable to think about what are the drivers of those systems and how the drivers of migration will be affected uh, by environmental change. So that's the approach that uh, Professor Richard Black at the University of Sussex uh, has taken. Uh, he headed the, uh, the uh, foresight panel uh, on, uh, on migration and global environmental change. And it's a similar approach to that taken by Professor Piggy uh, of the University of Neuchâtel, who's headed up uh, a study for UNESCO, uh, uh, trying also to look at this topic. Uh, and the approach then uh, doesn't start uh, with uh, uh, environmental threat, but it starts from looking at mobility and thinking how mobility itself uh, is often due to a complex of uh, various factors coming together, of which the environment might be one contributing factor uh, that would affect people's decisions about where their livelihoods are secure or insecure. And that then leads us to a slightly different set of conclusions. So that first approach, uh, very briefly then, the environmentalist <coughs> approach says, all right, let's look at the different uh, risks that climate change brings. Uh, uh, starting from the uh, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, uh, uh, we could identify the different types of changes that could impact on particular places. <coughs> uh, the uh, chart uh, on the right-hand side of the diagram, for example, showing the, uh, the uh, fan of uh, uncertainty around projections uh, of uh, the extent to which sea level will rise, displacing people from low-lying islands and from estuaries and so on. Uh, and if we take that kind of approach, it leads us inevitably to try and work out how many people will be affected uh, in those most vulnerable uh, areas. For example, if we look at Bangladesh, uh, one can produce a map of this kind, which uh, shows that the country is affected uh, uh, in the coastal belt by uh, significant numbers of cyclones, uh, that the estuary and the coastal islands are at risk of flooding as sea level rises, uh, and that changing uh, uh, the precipitation regimes have, of course, 
produced some of the highest monsoonal floods uh, along the many rivers that run through Bangladesh, uh, displacing uh, ever larger numbers of people on a temporary basis uh, during the last 10 to 15 years. So this kind of approach uh, uh, is, is interesting and useful. And uh, some of the work that I've done in Bangladesh does indeed uh, confirm uh, that uh, estuarine and coastal flooding has been uh, highly uh, significant. Uh, the approach then is a mapping approach saying what are the risk areas, how many people in those areas are affected, how are they affected in terms of soil erosion as rivers burst their banks, uh, how many people are displaced from their houses, and indeed here uh, an image I captured uh, uh, three or four years ago of people literally moving house to slightly higher ground uh, further uh, away from uh, the uh, highest risk uh, locations uh, beside the river. Um, and the uh, work that's been done by myself and others certainly shows that there is a significant degree uh, of mobility associated with environmental events. Um, the uh, uh, Foresight Panel's uh, uh, report gives figures, for example, in 2009, estimates of 17 million uh, people being displaced, um, no, most of those within countries, uh, and in 2010, uh, something like 42 uh, million. So uh, in summary then, this approach says there are places which are particularly affected by climate change. Those places might end up uh, resulting in significant flows of people to other countries, particularly uh, north, uh, from the global south to the global north. Uh, and this could therefore be a cause for concern. Researching that topic, a number of uh, international projects have been launched to try and discover the extent to which uh, these fears are justified. The most significant of these has been the study uh, uh, of um, uh, environmental change uh, and forced migration in 23 uh, different countries. Uh, and that project uh, confirms a lot of mobility, but it also confirms that nearly all that mobility is within country and very short distance. So, moving to the second approach then, um, and uh, this is the approach which uh, uh, I find of more value in trying to inform us and inform policymakers about environmental change. Uh, this approach suggests that we should be looking at the processes which underpin mobility to try to understand how environmental forces, and particularly environmental change, interact uh, with the other drivers of mobility. For example, how does it uh, increase people's uh, feelings about insecurity in terms of their livelihoods, uh, and how does that produce particular kinds of mobility? So it looks at not just the uncertainties about environmental change, but the uncertainties about migration and migration forecasting uh, as well. Now, um, the literature that I referred to uh, in this area uh, led me in one of the reports that's now published also uh, in the journal Global Environmental Change to identify seven principles uh, that influence environmental mobility. And uh, they're picked out there uh, uh, for you. I haven't time to go through them all, but they're on the handout. I want to pick out two, uh, really, just to focus on. <coughs> one factor that is really totally underemphasized is that literature shows that even though it might be rational for people to move in order to gain a more secure livelihood, uh, regardless of environmental risk, the majority of people uh, choose to be rooted and want to stay uh, in situ, uh, even uh, when uh, there might be other destinations that they could move to that would be more attractive. So the immobility paradox uh, is something that is true in general uh, in uh, the migration literature, and it's certainly true when we come to think about environmental impacts uh, of climate change. The second uh, the principle I want to pick out, it's particularly important, you can look at all seven of them, uh, is uh, that most 
environmentally uh, linked uh, mobility uh, is within country, uh, and that when people uh, do move, it is often uh, uh, something that is linked to uh, uh, one person from a household moving, uh, rather than the whole household, uh, and that, that person moving is itself a livelihood strategy for the rest of the household. So that mobility, uh, when livelihoods are a threat, uh, uh, may be a way of diversifying household incomes, and it may actually be a way of uh, facilitating households to stay in situ and to, to weather uh, the years when perhaps people's crops fail, uh, perhaps when uh, their livelihoods would otherwise be uh, so adversely affected and the whole household would have to move. So individuals moving on behalf of households may actually be a method for maintaining population in place uh, uh, by bringing in another uh, uh, livelihood stream. I want to turn then to a case study. Uh, this is a case study uh, from the uh, Famine and Early Warning System Network, uh, which covers something like 26 countries across the world. Uh, and looking uh, at the evidence of the detailed reports on each of those countries in 2010 makes it possible uh, to uh, arrive at certain specific uh, conclusions. Uh, the photographs are from some of the visits I made to Malawi, but the principles uh, apply uh, more widely. Well, of those countries, in 2010, uh, 11 uh, faced uh, what was thought of as moderate to severe uh, insecurity in terms of food stocks. In no case of those 11 uh, was environmental change or environmental factors the sole uh, uh, driver of uh, the insecurity. There was nearly always an underlying political or economic uncertainty which either caused or uh, accentuated uh, the environmental problems. Population mobility, uh, in terms of the reports produced on these 11 countries, uh, was only uh, one coping strategy. Uh, and, and it's important to emphasize that, a coping strategy from a wide suite of strategies. Uh, in the context of Malawi, uh, much more usual was to uh, chop wood to sell for, uh, for charcoal, uh, uh, creating in itself environmental problems, uh, or uh, the possibility of pulling children out of school and sending them to work uh, in uh, plantation agriculture for a period. Uh, and to some extent in Malawi, uh, there were some people who went for short periods to Mozambique uh, to work uh, in plantations there in order to supplement household income. Um, third thing that comes across is that uh, mobility uh, uh, comes in a wide range of forms. We shouldn't confuse migration as uh, all mobility. Migration is only one form of mobility. Uh, much mobility relating to environmental uh, change uh, is actually incredibly short time span uh, rather than long time span. And in some cases, in 2010 and in other case studies from the literature, environmental threats contributing to uh, mobility actually reduces it rather than increases it. What do I mean by that? Well, when uh, precipitation fails, uh, then sometimes the opportunities for uh, uh, casual labor moving uh, to earn uh, uh, an income uh, from a plantation type of agriculture is reduced because the uh, owners of those plantations simply do not take on labor. And so uh, uh, in cases of, of drought, uh, the result was actually a reduction in mobility in some cases, Kenya and Niger in particular. Two more uh, main findings from this study, just passing over them very quickly, was that from the 11 countries, only in Malawi and Chad in 2010 uh, uh, was there evidence that the food insecurity was associated with cross-border moves. And in those countries, the cross-border moves are also neighboring countries rather than between continents. And 
finally, only in Somalia, out of all of these countries, was there evidence that this mobility was likely to result in more permanent settlement. And as we know in, in the Somalian context, that was often because pastoral nomadism was disrupted uh, by uh, political uncertainties uh, and warfare, rather than necessarily because of the uh, environmental hazards associated with uh, a series of dry years. And it was there then that we saw uh, moves towards more permanent urban settlement. Now, if that is a case study relating uh, mobility to uh, drought contexts, uh, uh, one of the other things coming out of the literature is a very clear message uh, that uh, each type of environmental hazard produces different types of mobility. So drought is a slow onset disaster undermining livelihoods. Uh, clearly, a sudden onset disasters produce different types of mobility. Uh, we all heard a great deal about uh, Katrina uh, and its consequences. Here we're thinking about hurricanes, uh, displacing populations who are threatened, flooding and drowning uh, as a result uh, of those types of events. Uh, studies both in the UNESCO book by Piguet and others, and also uh, papers in Population, Space and Place, show that in sudden onset disasters, um, there is uh, often short-term displacement uh, and people are coming back once that disaster has passed. But also many other factors, including the salient and important point, that the people who find it most difficult to move are the most vulnerable populations. So again, this issue of immobility being the issue that we should be most concerned about as policymakers uh, uh, when there's environmental threat. The most vulnerable are the least able to move. Uh, most vulnerable would be, in the Katrina context, uh, obviously, uh, Colored populations uh, and people, particularly elderly people, uh, were much more represented amongst the fatalities uh, in the case of Katrina. Uh, so that selectivity uh, being uh, rather important. Then just emphasizing uh, coastal and estuarine flooding uh, and, and riverine flooding and what are the consequences of that. Uh, again, looking at Bangladesh. Uh, households such as this are uh, clearly uh, affected because not only do they lose their normal paddy crop as their uh, fields are covered with uh, 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 detritus and, and, and gravel uh, uh, for a period until they can clear those fields again. So the people don't just lose uh, their immediate uh, uh, food stocks, they lose their next crop. And it's during that period that the, uh, the, the difficulties arise as to how best these people can find livelihood in those contexts, it doesn't seem unreasonable that one member of the household goes to an urban location uh, to try to find an alternative uh, livelihood source. And that's one of the uh, big messages, indeed, uh, of the Foresight Panel, uh, that mobility from rural to urban areas in the global south is perhaps a phenomenon which uh, policymakers should be thinking about. Um, because as uh, a type of mobility, it sustains the rural population, but it does lead to populations moving uh, to the larger cities of the global south. And those cities, ironically, are often located uh, in environmentally uh, hazardous areas, areas that in the next 50 years may be liable to flooding. Uh, they are often coastal or, or low-lying areas. The migrants, when they move, are also more likely to go to the most hazardous locations within those cities. And the, the picture here uh, uh, is one such site uh, by uh, one of the larger rivers, uh, the site, which uh, has been a home to uh, squatter settlements for some time. Uh, but those people living there displaced on an annual basis during the monsoon and having to go back onto the street uh, to find somewhere to live. 
Now, just very briefly, um, uh, you will see the uh, report on the table outside, and I can't speak for this report because I did just a very a small number of uh, contributions. Uh, there are over 70 separate uh, reviews, uh, re driver reports, uh, produced for the Foresight panel, uh, and Martha uh, is here from that panel and, and can perhaps speak a little bit to, uh, to this uh, if people have questions about uh, the report. But I did want to pick up just two findings, which are not my findings, they come from other people's work. Uh, but I think they're, they're very important. Uh, the, the, the first is uh, captured in this diagram here, which tells us that this issue of uh, people's um, uh, uh, ability uh, to uh, look after themselves in terms of income uh, and wealth is a fundamental issue that we need to relate both to vulnerability to environmental hazards and to migration. So uh, uh, from the left uh, to right, uh, low income to high income, and if we plot that against the vulnerability to environmental change, uh, it is the low-income groups that are at greatest vulnerability to climate change. And as we move to uh, higher-income groups, they are more likely to have some form uh, of uh, adaptation strategy in place. Uh, and in Western contexts, of course, insurance policies are in place. And so they are less vulnerable to environmental change. Ironically, migration and mobility as a response to these situations is least likely for poor populations and most likely for wealthier groups who have the resources to send somebody to find alternative sources of income. Now, the intersection of the red and the blue lines is rather important, and the report points then to this fact that at this end, uh, the least wealthy are the ones who are most likely to be trapped, to be immobile, and to be unable to move in the face of environmental threat. And that then becomes a policy issue. What should be the policy issue, uh, policy drivers uh, that engage with those populations where immobility rather than mobility uh, is the uh, main uh, problem? Um, so that, I think that's really a rather important uh, kind of conceptual contribution. We might have to sadly move slightly faster. Faster. Right, okay. Um, I hate to say it. No, that's fine. Um, coming, coming to the last uh, few points then, um, the, uh, the report brings out a number of issues. I've talked just very briefly about this immobility issue. Um, I think the second uh, and third points that we really want, want to think about are uh, the fact that population growth and natural migration systems uh, over the next 50 years are going to distribute more and more people uh, towards these high-risk zones in the global south. And that, rather than transfers people towards uh, the global north, uh, then again uh, is the uh, policy concern uh, that people might want to talk about. Now, coming then to the second uh, case study, and I promise I'm going to be a few minutes on this, uh, uh, Sarah. Um, one of the questions that arose uh, that I wanted to try and answer is, have there been any estimates of the level uh, of environmental mobility which will come towards the United Kingdom or towards Europe in general, the United Kingdom in particular? And is it possible to try to produce some kind of uh, first attempt uh, at thinking about what kind of uh, processes are involved, what kind of outcomes are likely? If you are concerned uh, with this issue uh, and running towards the answer to the question, the answer uh, to the question, will the United Kingdom uh, be a major destination for future environmental migration? Uh, the answer to that question uh, from the uh, case study appeared to be no. How did we get to that answer? Well, we were engaged, first of all, with a, a panel, or two panels actually, uh, of experts uh, who uh, had some knowledge both of uh, demographic and migration issues and of environmental issues. 
uh, and we were interested in asking this panel not so much about ballpark numbers, uh, but about the nature uh, of uh, change, the slope and the direction uh, of any uh, curve that would be fitted uh, towards thinking uh, about uh, mobility in the future and asking them about their degrees of confidence or uncertainty about the data uh, 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 and the estimates that might be reached. That then was combined with what information we have about uh, international migration uh, uh, and uh, uh, the uh, forward forecasts of international migration uh, uh, were then uh, looked at uh, from the uh, previous uh, data that's available in relationship to known uh, drivers uh, of international migration. Taking the expert information uh, and uh, that uh, prior series information together then produces uh, through uh, uh, the process of uh, uh, the modelling exercise we undertook uh, our first attempt to produce migration and environmental forecasts. And there's a couple of people in the room here who are actually involved in that exercise. So again, we might return to talking about that. The expert evidence um, uh, was really uh, interesting because it pointed to uh, a number of factors which I think we, we need to, to, to talk about. That is, if you look at environmental uh, uh, risks and we look at known migration systems in the United Kingdom, it's quite clear that existing migration systems are unlikely to deliver in the future or be modified in the future by environmental change in a way so as to bring large numbers of people to the United Kingdom. For example, um, perhaps the uh, area in the world most uh, 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 close to the United Kingdom most likely to uh, be affected by uh, an environmental threat is uh, North Africa. Uh, and as food insecurity increases there, uh, it's possible that there could be population displacement. But the United Kingdom is not particularly strongly linked to Morocco, Algeria, uh, or, or Tunisia <coughs> in terms of existing migration systems. And if populations are affected by hazards in that part of the world, it's much more likely for cultural uh, uh, reasons that people would be displaced uh, uh, towards uh, uh, France uh, uh, and certainly the Mediterranean zone. On a similar basis, uh, if we look at the risk of coastal flooding uh, or uh, islands being flooded, uh, there are not any uh, major uh, low-lying islands proximate to the United Kingdom. Uh, and where uh, there are low-lying estuarine areas, we have a, a, a high probability uh, that uh, people will be able to uh, plan in those contexts to protect those vulnerable <coughs> coastlines. Britain is linked, of course, uh, because of uh, colonial linkages uh, to India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh. Uh, we've already talked about the risks there. Uh, but all the evidence uh, that has been gathered points to the uh, likelihood that uh, the uh, peoples affected will be displaced within those countries. Previous uh, major displacements of those countries associated with uh, civil strife have not been a stimulus to major migration to this country. If we take Bangladesh as an example, uh, the main migration systems to Britain from Bangladesh are from the Silet area, not from the coastal islands uh, or, or the banks of the uh, major uh, rivers. And it's unlikely that the skill sets of the people living in those uh, uh, threatened areas would uh, qualify uh, to move to this country. Um, and then uh, the final point here uh, is if we think about uh, uh, what changes are likely to take place uh, that would affect British migration uh, or immigration to Britain, uh, we could uh, surmise that uh, 
changes in agriculture within Europe are much more likely to affect our migration systems. We know that there are large numbers of people from Eastern and Central Europe uh, already who find it attractive to come and work here. Uh, as agricultural systems uh, perhaps are destabilized uh, in Eastern Europe or the Mediterranean uh, zone, then it's, it's those systems which are likely uh, to generate any uh, population displacement. And it could be that as climate change uh, uh, takes hold in 50 to 60 years' time, that we see some change in the agricultural systems uh, of northern uh, uh, Europe benefiting uh, and uh, perhaps producing opportunities for new employment in fisheries or agriculture, which could boost uh, demand in those areas. So we do not anticipate significant flows uh, towards the United Kingdom for environmental change, but if it happens, uh, it is likely to be from proximate rather than distant locations, and it is likely to relate to existing uh, uh, flows. Right, the last uh, two minutes, um, I, I mentioned the, uh, the, the modelling, the Bayesian modelling of future migration, uh, and I want just very briefly, uh, one minute really, Sarah, uh, to try and explain this graph. This is the graph of current uh, immigration to the United Kingdom. <coughs> the uh, coloured fans reflect the uh, outcome of the Bayesian modelling with regard to how much of future migration might relate to environmental mobility. And the only line I really want to focus on is the white line, uh, which is all horizontal on the base of that graph. Uh, this is the median forecast uh, arising from the exercise uh, relating to environmental mobility. Uh, and I think the important, the first and most important feature here is simply to say it is flat. Uh, the result of the exercise uh, is that there is no anticipated rise uh, in the volume of environmental linked mobility to the United Kingdom as a result of looking at the expert opinion and relating it to anticipated levels of future uh, immigration to the United Kingdom. Uh, you might want to interpret that white line. It simply uh, tells us the median position, i.e. the right comes, uh, same number of right comes above and below that line that could occur. Anyone has equal probability. Uh, but uh, in terms of median, simplistic uh, uh, thinking about this, uh, a flat line outcome is by far the, the most likely uh, 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 feature to emerge. Uh, we could talk a great deal more about that, and I'm happy to. I want just then to my final slide to come to conclusions. And those conclusions uh, are uh, that from a policymaker's perspective, I think it's much more productive to think about the destinations that are uh, likely to arise as a result of environmental uh, movement than to think uh, about uh, the origins. Uh, that's very important. Uh, for the United Kingdom, the result of that type of thinking uh, is that we arrive at the conclusion that the UK is extremely unlikely uh, to be a major destination of environmental uh, displacement. Immobility is a very big problem faced with environmental change rather than mobility. I've already dwelt on that. As we perhaps breathe a sigh of relief that the forecast uh, that I've just introduced to you suggests not a huge increase in environmental mobility to the United Kingdom, that does not mean that there is not a major role for the United Kingdom uh, to think about environmental change migration. But that thinking needs to be focused on the Global South, particularly on the cities of the Global South, uh, which will be the most likely uh, receiving uh, destinations of major displacements of population. 
And then uh, finally, I've been trying to say in this uh, talk uh, that uh, understanding the nature of environmental migration matters far more than trying to arrive at ballpark figures. The reason for that is that useful uh, policy interventions will arise from thinking about the different scenarios that could produce both unlikely and likely outcomes from environmental change. And I think it is that uh, which is perhaps the most uh, important agenda in terms of policy thinking uh, in, in this arena. Thank you very much.